everybody. Welcome to episode 49 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. And you can find all my work at 2QBs.com, T-W-O-Q-B-S. And once again, I'm going to kick off the show by reminding you that we have an amazing draft guide for 2QB and Superflex Leagues dedicated to the 2017 season. Uh, the second edition was released on August 7th, and we'll have another update soon. No matter when you buy, though, you always get the most current version with your original purchase. So if you have, like, if you bought it with the very first version and you want to get the most up-to-date one, you can just log back in, download the new PDF, and you're good to go. One of my favorite things about the guide are that we have two different versions of the rankings cheat sheet and the auction values. The first is for drafters like me who prefer to wait at quarterback and look for value in the later rounds, or maybe not the later rounds, but later picks relative to everybody else drafting quarterbacks. But we also know that there are plenty of leagues where quarterbacks are going to fly off the board fast and furious. They're going to get picked high. They're going to get picked really aggressively. And we have a second set of rankings and auction values geared towards that type of league where you have to be a little bit more uh, impatient and a little more aggressive in terms of when you draft your quarterback. So uh, prob- that's probably the most applicable like to your live drafting experience with the draft guide, but there are also just a ton of great articles by a bunch of amazing writers. So if you want to get your copy, you go to 2QBs.com, use the promo code 2QBXP, that's the number two, and then QBXP, and you'll get 10% off. With that said, thanks for bearing with it. Um, I want to introduce this week's guest, Geno Smith fanatic, Jim Sonis of Numberfire, <laughs> at Jim Sonis on Twitter. How are you doing, Jim? Welcome back to the 2QBs podcast. Is it a network if we only have one show? I yeah. Know. No, I think that counts. <laughs> and, like, I think I can be okay with being known as the Geno Smith fanatic. Um, I, I, can, I can definitely live with that. And, you know... Being a a fanboy of the best quarterback on the New York Football Giants could be a lot worse. So uh, you know I'm I'm okay with my situation right now. How about you, Greg? I'm great, and I'm I'm really excited to hear your Geno takes. And we're going to get to those later <laughs> in this episode because we're going to be talking about quarterback battles and potential quarterback battles. And I don't know how you feel, but I do believe there's a legitimate chance that Eli and Geno maybe closer in terms of how good they are than people are willing to admit. But again, let's save that for later. Sure. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what you do at number fire before we get into the, the bulk of the episode. I know that you're doing podcasts and video Q and A's all the time, but I also saw that you posted uh, a recent article looking at storylines from week one of the NFL preseason. Mm-hmm. You had a really interesting note about the Vikings offensive line. You had another article about late round lottery tickets you could target in your drafts, including blurbs on Andy Dalton and Carson Palmer, both of whom I drafted late in my two QB drafts yes. over the weekend. You'd be very proud of me, Jim. <laughs> and one player that was in common with both of those articles you wrote was uh, Devin Funches, the wide receiver for yeah. the Panthers. And I kind of want to pick your brain on him a little bit because sure. – He's not a player, like, he's a player that seems to get hyped up around this time of year. It happened last year, it's happening again this year, but we haven't really seen him put it together on the field. What did you see in that preseason game that you liked? Yeah, I mean, I've never been a Funchess guy. I mean, I enjoyed him in Michigan, because I, I like him a big Big Ten football fan, so I, I loved watching him there when he was a tight end, you know, just beasting out on the field. Like, I enjoyed that, but in the NFL, I've never been a huge Funchess supporter 
But I think when you look at that one game, I, I never try to draw too much from a box score. And that one, there wasn't really much cooking for Funches. You know, he had one target, four-yard reception. You know, that's whatever. I think the big thing, though, was that he played all nine snaps with the first team. And last year, his snap rate was above 60% in just two games. And it never got higher than, I think, like 65%. So when you're giving a guy all the first team reps with a team where, you know, quarterback in Cam Newton, who struggled for sure last year, but in his past, he's had efficient seasons as a quarterback and you put him on the field that often, it can lead to pretty good things. You know, right now, Funches, a 14th round pick. He is a guy who had an over almost a 20% uh, red zone target market share last year. When you add all that up, it kind of says to me that we should at least be taking late round flyers on him. It's not a situation where I'm like, all right, that's reach four rounds ahead of time to get Devin Funches onto my onto my onto my teams. But given where he's going right now, given the fact that he's just going to play snaps, it's kind of hard for me to not take him. I, I guess of where he's going right now. <laughs> that's fair, man. And uh, I, I urge you all listeners to check out those articles. They're both up at Number Fire. Uh, Jim does great work. And before we dive into those QB battles I teased before, I do want to touch on some news. That has come out since the last episode I recorded. Uh, most of this stuff is going to be pretty well covered in like the written sphere and the Twitter spheres uh, up to this point. But I do want to touch on them here on the air or on the podcast, wherever you want to call it. Uh, the Ezekiel Elliott suspension. First of all, Jim, do you think he's going to actually serve a six-game suspension or do you think that's going to be reduced? Yeah, I feel like the NFL is kind of in a tricky spot where they had to go with the six-game suspension for Zeke given all the the fumbles they've had with domestic violence issues in the past. And it's a, it's a pretty major issue where the NFL just hasn't addressed it in a way that that has been totally necessary. So I think, you know, if they were presented with this evidence, giving him a six game suspension, I would assume given that they've been investigating this incident for an entire year, they probably knew exactly what they were doing. So when I look at it, I think it's possible he doesn't wind up serving the full six games. That is always something that could happen. But I tend to believe that it will wind up being six games, which is why I really, I mean, you know, looking at Fantasy Football Calculator, which has ADPs just from, you know, the past three days or so, he's still going in the second round. And I really, really cannot get behind that. So, I mean, I get it. I understand the incentive to go there. And maybe he doesn't wind up serving six games. But for me, it's just really scary to do that. Yeah, I'm right there with you. In the three drafts I was in over the weekend, uh, all three of them, he went way higher than I would have been willing yeah. to spend uh, for him, either in terms of auction dollars or in terms of, you know, the, the pick that he was taking in the snake draft. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I now want to kind of pivot this towards two quarterback and sure. see what you think about how this is going to affect Dak Prescott. Do you think this has an impact on him? Because I think this is, if anything, going to be a negative. I, I, I wrote about this on Friday, but I see that, you know, maybe more volume is going to be there for Dak, but... The efficiency is almost certainly not going to be quite as high this year as it was last season, especially missing one of his key receivers in Elliott. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's huge. And that's that's kind of what got Dak by last year was efficiency. And that's what we look for in every quarterback. So, like, whenever you got get a guy who takes a hit in efficiency, it's going to make you look at them a bit more, you know, skeptically. And I think you're spot on. I think it was Alex Gelhard of NFL.com was tweeting out Dak Prescott's efficiency splits from last year when Zeke was on the field versus when he was off it. And it kind of fits the narrative of, okay, Dak or, or Zeke's on the field. We need to account for this guy as a rusher. We need to, you know, stuff the box, whatever it may be, to, to slow him down. And when you don't have that as being a factor, 
it did have an effect on Dak Prescott's efficiency. So I'm fully on board with you, even though it will probably come with a slight spike in volume. That's not necessarily what I want from Dak. I want that absurd efficiency. I want those red zone opportunities where he can maybe maybe rush it into the end zone. And with Zeke being out, I know running backs don't have as big an effect on efficiency as other positions, but a guy like Zeke is still going to affect that. So I am a little bit soured on Dak. I still think that, you know, he's going as quarterback 15 right now. I think that's a pretty fair price. So I'm not saying that I'm out on him at his ADP, but I do think that it does lower my expectations for him. I think he might have just been a little bit undervalued in my eyes before that. Yeah, I actually was down on him in the first place, and, and okay. this only makes it worse. Part of it for me was I already expected some amount of regression because, one, mm-hmm. they lost two guys from the offensive line that was so good last year, and Correct. two, he was a rookie last year, and now defenses are going to have a full season's worth of tape to study and try to game plan against. Like Essentially, he's not going to catch anybody off guard this year, so that combined with the offensive line issues, combined with the fact that you know Zeke is going to miss some time, whether it be three, four, five, six games, whatever, that has me pretty down on him. I think I was lower than him in most. I Somewhere like QB 18, QB 19, okay. just in my own rankings. But again, he's a part of a group of quarterbacks that's very largely fine for fantasy. Yeah. And so I don't think you can necessarily go wrong with him, but it's it's he's not a guy I'm targeting, that's for sure. A couple other situations that I touched on in that article were the trades kind of surrounding the Buffalo Bills. Sammy Watkins goes to uh, L.A. to play for the Rams. Jordan Matthews moves from the Eagles to the Bills to kind of replace Watkins in theory. What do you see these trades doing to the quarterbacks for those teams, to Carson Wentz, to Tyrod Taylor, to Jared Goff? Do you, and you can tackle them in any order you want. I mean, it's huge for golf. Uh, I mean, if you look back to last year, he, I mean, he had Kenny Britton. We love, I mean, I at least have Kenny Britt. Uh, Most people in the fantasy community either love or hate him. I tend to be on the love side for Kenny Britt. You know, he's a good receiver, but he's not a Sammy Watkins. It's not like do they bring in Sammy Watkins to Jared Goff, but they added Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, which is obviously going to be a minor upgrade from Greg Robinson (laughs) attempting to play left tackle. Um, So that's big as well. They spent three top four round picks on pass catchers, one tight end, a couple of wide receivers. And you've got Sean McVay, who has a history of helping out quarterbacks who had struggled in the past. Kirk Cousins' revival did not come until uh, McVay became the offensive coordinator in Washington. So I know that we don't want to base assumptions off of a lot of ifs, but there happen to be a lot of ifs lining up in Jared Goff's favor right now. So, I think this trade is huge for him, and it has me bumping him a a pretty significant way up my boards where I think he is very much, you know, a a draftable commodity. And I think that he needs to be owned, you know, two quarterback leagues, even if it's like a 10 team league, he's at least kind of in play at that point. So I think golf is a huge winner here. And Tyrod Taylor, he was a guy who I adored earlier this year. I had him at quarterback 10 overall. It's a big hit, man. Uh, I mean, losing Sammy Watkins, um, it seems as if the team is not super interested in winning. That could hurt Tyrod, too. So it's a huge bump for Goff. It is a huge downgrade for Tyrod Taylor. And I think it's kind of a wash for Wentz because I guess I wasn't really planning on Matthews being a huge part of that offense to begin with, just kind of based on the preseason chatter. 
you and I have very similar takes on all these situations. I probably am not bumping Goff up as much as you are. I think that he gets closer to the guys that were ahead of him in the rankings, but I still have a hard time putting him ahead of some of the players who are in that same range. But if you want to see like what I think about all that stuff, you can go check out the article. Uh, it's on 2QBs.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Last uh, bit of news I want to get to that we didn't have time for on last week's episode is that Quincy Noon was out for the year. And... Yeah. I don't necessarily want to look at quarterbacks right away because we're going to talk about the Jets later. What does this do for the other position players there on the Jets? Is there a player or multiple players you see this benefiting, or is this just a net negative across the board? I mean, it will benefit Robbie Anderson. So, like, he'll get more targets and stuff like that. But it's just it's so hard for there to be any value in this offense if they're not going to score points. You know, I think that Austin Safarian Jenkins is going to get targets, too. It's the same thing as Anderson. But at tight end, I'm so focused on scoring touchdowns. I want yeah. tight ends. It's kind of like running back, where I want to attach them to an offense that will score points. And I don't think the Jets are going to do that very often. So it's hard for me to even like ASJ, even though his target market share will probably be pretty decent you know, for a tight end. I think the Anderson will be the same thing. So he'll have a nice little floor. But there's just no upside here. Uh, maybe it helps out Bilal Powell a bit, but he's already overvalued in my eyes as being a late fifth-round pick. So I I think that it does help guys, but it doesn't help them enough where I, I want to draft them where they're going right now. Yeah, ASJ is also suspended for the first two games, right, which isn't exactly. helping anybody. Powell, I agree, was probably a little overvalued in the first place. I think this news makes things worse for him because if a team's – you know, best offensive weapons are a rusher and a tight end and, and a bad wide receiver and Robbie Anderson. I shouldn't say bad, but a, a kind of replacement level wide receiver like Robbie Anderson, that is going to put a lot of defenders in the box, which isn't good for Powell. It's not good for the Jets quarterback. I just don't see a whole lot of good coming out of this in general. I think maybe perhaps there's some sneaky deep value for Elijah McGuire. Yeah. You know, yeah. backing up Powell and, and, and Forte, because both those guys are actually hurt at the moment in terms of, uh, where we are in the preseason, but I mean, they have a lot of time to get healthy for the regular season, so I'm not going to forecast it or anything. I don't know. I could see some DFS appeal for some of the really deep guys as we get into the season, maybe Sharon Peak or Darius Stewart, uh, Jalen Marshall after he comes back from suspension. But again, yeah, this is a total stay away from redraft. If anything, you want to kind of see how it sorts itself out through the first six weeks before you really start to invest one way or the other. I'm with you. But let's segue from here into our quarterback battles. And let's start with the Jets because we're right there. Sure. And what we're looking at are potential situations where multiple quarterbacks could get the starting job to start the year, could have the starting job at some point during the year. And so we have to kind of ask ourselves some key questions like who is going to start the year as the QB? When do we expect a midseason change? Will it be based on performance or injury? And who do we think will have the most value at the end of the season, right? When the playoffs are here and all that stuff, because depending upon which quarterbacks you draft in the earlier rounds, that's going to inform how much risk you can take with your later picks at quarterback. And that's where these guys in the battles are going to land because their values are more nebulous. We don't necessarily know how good they're going to be. So no one's willing to spend a whole lot of draft capital in them with the jets. We have Josh McCown. We have Christian Hackenberg. We have Bryce Petty. I think it's pretty safe to assume that McCown starts with the job, but it's also pretty safe to assume that there's going to be turnover here at some point, right? Yeah, I would assume that for sure. It seems like they've kind of set Hackenberg up as being the clear number two, just based on, you know, the practice reps they've done in training camp. And then also the deployment in that first preseason game where they got Hack a decent amount of time on the field. So 
it sounds like it seems like if things go poorly and they probably will given the Jets roster that they would make a switch at some point the problem is when you look at the schedule they don't have a bye until mid-November and the schedule starts off easier than it is later on in the season so I kind of think that they're backing themselves into a really weird corner here if they decide to use McCown you know to start the year which I would assume they will but you know once they decide, okay, you know, we're out of it, let's go, let's make the switch to Hackenberg, it'll probably be without the benefit of a bye to get fully prepared. It'll probably be against a tougher-esque team than they'll face early on. So I don't know how they're going to handle this, and I don't really think there's a great way to handle it just because you can't start Hack in week one because there's no reason to believe that he is ready at this moment. So I kind of don't know when that switch will happen. And it makes me really hesitant to even get super excited about McCown, about Hackenberg, or anyone there, just because I don't know who's going to start when, essentially. Yeah, I think you're spot on. It does seem like McCown is the one guy I'd be willing to draft because we know he's going to start with the job. And, you know, you can try to play the waiver wire, maybe get out ahead of a Hackenberg pick, or you draft them both. Like, that, that is another solution that we haven't really touched on here, that you could handcuff the Jets quarterback I just I, it sounds dirty as I say it I just you like, got through it though oh, you God. said it without without anything coming up and I'm proud of you that's that's good I, I'm on an empty stomach right now no just kidding <laughs> oh. so, so anyway um yeah I just I don't know like Hackenberg is a guy who based upon all the reports from last year we shouldn't even expect to be good this year that's the other thing that worries me and I think it's interesting that they are so willing just to roll from McCown into Hackenberg, as you've described with like the way they've set up their depth chart. But I'm curious about Bryce Petty. Now he wasn't good last year either. And he is the guy in that, you know, quarterback core who they have the the biggest book on, right? He's been there the longest. So it makes sense that they're not going to roll him out there quite as much in preseason. But I do think that because he's been there, because Hackenberg and McCown are both, you know, liabilities, either in terms of talent or injury or both, Petty could get some run too, and that just like further muddies the situation into complete stay away territory for me. So let, let's let's get past this. I've, we've been talking about the Jets for way too long. <laughs> let's talk about a team that's you know not necessarily more exciting to talk about, but they are a bit more up and coming at this point. Yeah, the Cleveland Browns, uh, Brock Osweiler, Cody Kessler, Deshaun Kaiser, all fighting for a starting gig, and. This is another one where it's kind of tricky to read the signals. We're getting mixed signals, and I honestly have no idea who's going to start for them week one. I know who I want to start for them week one, but um, what do you think is going to happen here, Jim? Yeah, it just seems like it's setting up for it to be Osweiler, which is disappointing because we saw what he did last year in Houston, and that was not a bad situation. You know, Dwayne Brown is out the first four games, and they lost their center, Nick Martin, too. So it wasn't an ideal situation. But you still had DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller there, so it wasn't as if he was just weaponless. Nothing really happened. I think that the quarterback with the Browns will have weapons, so I want to draft them. I just really don't want it to be Osweiler. So right now, I'm guessing it will be him, and I would assume that they'll be pretty you know, jumpy to get Kaiser in there because if they do wind up picking near the front of the draft again next year, which is not a given, they need to know what they have in Kaiser. So I'd assume they won't waste much time here. I think that Kaiser does have a lot of you know, fantasy viability because he has a big arm. And as much as I love Cody Kessler, and we were talking about my love for Geno Smith, my love for Cody Kessler goes far beyond that. <laughs> um, I, I love Cody Kessler, and I wish he would start. But it just realistically, it does not seem as if he is in line to do so. Kaiser's got a big arm. He'll have, if he starts, 
weapons with Kenny Britt, Corey Coleman, Seth Devolve, uh, David Njoku, and Duke Johnson. Like in that offensive line too, is good. It's a good situation. Yeah. So I I hope it, it winds up being Kaiser, just because. I don't think it'll be Kessler based on the way that they've gone so far, and I really don't want to be Osweiler. So I wasn't a huge Kaiser guy coming out of college, but at this point, given what he has in place, if he starts there, I'd be totally into him for fantasy. Yeah, I'm confident that Kaiser is their long-range plan here for the season. That's that's pretty clear based upon you know, you know where they drafted him, who else they have on the roster, and all that stuff. But you can tell yourself a story here where maybe Brock Osweiler got a bit of a wake-up call when he got dumped yeah. in a trade, like straight dumped. And maybe he came into this season with a little bit more of a fire under his ass. He's trying to, you know, prove himself a little bit after being such a disappointment last year. And who knows? Maybe he starts week one and he looks okay considering the weapons they have here. Maybe the problem in Houston wasn't as much him as it was that entire organization. We don't really know. But like you said, we know that Osweiler is not a long-term solution. We know that they didn't really trade for him to use him as the starter. They drafted Kaiser highly. He seems like the guy that's going to get there at some point. And if the first preseason game was any indication, right, he looks really good there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I come back to what I was talking about with Petty just before with the Jets, with Kessler as well, in that he didn't really do anything wrong considering the situation he was thrust into last season. Mm-hmm. I, I could see... You know, Osweiler disappointing and Kaiser maybe not being ready when they give him that first opportunity and then Kessler getting a shot eventually. Now, I don't think you can draft him based upon that. I think that if you're drafting one of these guys, you draft Kaiser first and then you maybe flip a coin between the other two if you're if you're really that desperate. But, you know, the deeper your league goes, the more you can afford to take shots on any of the three. So that's mm-hmm. that's something in your wheelhouse. You got anything else on the Browns here before we move on? No, I think you're spot on about the order of drafting them. I think Kaiser is first for me for sure, uh, and, and I think that he's actually not a bad guy to pick. But I also do think that I, if I were choosing between Kessler and Osweiler, the upside in Kessler does seem to be pretty good. Uh, even though he's not like a, a big-armed guy, he is efficient. He is going to move the chains. He's probably going to lead some touchdown drives, and he won't throw interceptions. So the floor on Kessler is pretty good if he starts. So. You know, let's say Kessler winds up getting a start in week five and he is, for whatever reason, on your waiver wire at that point. I'd say you pick him up and you take him with a good amount of confidence because, again, everything lines up so well for whatever quarterback plays in this offense to be good. So I agree. Go Kaiser first. I would go Kessler second. But if it does wind up being Osweiler, he will probably have some viability for fantasy. So let's skip ahead here and transition to a similar situation with the Broncos. And this is one where Trevor Semien is kind of like the Cody Kessler of his team, a Mm -hmm. guy who can manage the game but isn't necessarily going to wow you with his raw ability. And on the other side, we have Paxton Lynch, who is that, you know, big-armed guy but maybe doesn't have it all either between the ears or in terms of accuracy. We expect draft capital to mean something, but I don't think that Denver's first-round pick of Lynch – is really being considered in the right context because 2016 was not a good quarterback class. And that's evidenced by Jared Goff being the number one overall guy. Right. And while there's optimism in fantasy circles for Carson Wentz, who is the number two pick, I'm not really a believer in him either. So if we look at Lynch and you see that he was drafted, drafted after those guys, a pair of mediocre quarterback prospects, I just don't think that because he went in the first round means that he'll be good in the NFL. And 
some smart analysts like uh, our own Anthony Amico at 2QBs, he spotted this stuff, these red flags, before Lynch was even drafted. He had an armchair scattering report out last season. He called out Lynch for a soft schedule in college, as well as problems with accuracy timing and getting through his reads, like, like doing those progressions. And we're seeing evidence of that now in his competition with Semyon here in the preseason. So there's still a lot of preseason left. I think that Lynch can, you know, maybe turn things around next in the next preseason game because he's going to get some run with the starters instead of with the second mm-hmm. string. But how do you see this situation playing out, Jim? Yeah, I mean, it really feels as if they want Paxton Lynch to win the job. You know, giving him that start in the second preseason game is kind of saying, okay, please go win this. Please let us start. Yeah. You. I just... I have no confidence he'll he'll do it. And, you know, I think that we'll get a good read on him in that second preseason game. And I would like him if he started. I just seems to me, based on last year, based on every report we have read from training camp, as if Simeon is going to be the guy. And when he if he does wind up starting, he's going to have a superbly short leash. But you could kind of say the exact same thing about last year. And it seemed like if Simeon screwed up, the rumblings for Paxton Lynch would immediately crop up. Yet he just kind of was steady all throughout the year. They did make improvements on the offensive line. They brought in some guys. They invested draft capital there. They still have Manny Sanders, Demarius Thomas. So whoever wins it will have fantasy relevancy. And I think that they will be decently high on my list. It's just hard to predict who will be. I, I would, I guess, put it like, 80, maybe not that hard. I think it's like 85% Trevor Simeon right now, just based on everything that we've read. But that 15% is there because it really does seem as if they want Paxton Lynch to win it. Again, I just don't know that he will. Yeah, and I've talked about that on previous episodes. It seems like they're setting him up to win it, and he just can't do it. He's just not (laughs) grabbing the keys and starting the car. Um, Just out of curiosity, if you are a person who owns Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, C.J. Anderson, which one of these quarterbacks would you rather see under center for Denver? That's a good question. Um, I probably would go with Simeon because we saw what they could do last year with Simeon there. I mean, less so Anderson because he got hurt and stuff. But before he got hurt, he was doing okay. We saw them be all fantasy relevant last year. You know, he he funneled the targets to DT and Manny, which is great for fantasy. Yeah. So I think I'd prefer Simeon. It seems like he's pretty set with going to his best weapons, which is essentially what I want. And he's efficient enough to make them, you know, okay pieces, I guess. How about you? Yeah, I'm the same. I, th- I think just that that accuracy that Simeon brings to the table that Lynch mm-hmm. has struggled with is, is a big deal in terms of, you know, we don't know how many plays Denver's going to run. Their defense is very good. So when they are running plays, I want those to be high percentage plays. And while that may not be the greatest thing for their offense in terms of scoring points, it's better for us, I think, as fantasy owners in terms of how we score points. You know, most of us mm-hmm. play in PPR, half-point PPR formats, and I don't want balls sailing over my receiver's heads. No. <laughs> you know, 15 yards down the field, I'd much rather have, you know, uh, a crisp on-target pass seven yards down the field, if that makes yep. sense. Um, so let's get back to the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson versus Tom Savage. I think it's interesting to note that DeAndre Hopkins campaigned for Savage through the media earlier mm-hmm. in the preseason. But otherwise, it seems like everything is pointing to a big opportunity for Watson to win this job. What what are you seeing here? Yeah, I think that the the thing here that pushes me towards maybe a bean to Sean Watson is that if Tom Savage does wind up getting the job, 
it's kind of a situation where I don't think they'd want to make an in-season change. Houston is a good enough team where they'll probably win a lot of football games this year because they've got a really good defense. They've got DeAndre Hopkins. Dwayne Brown is healthy. He is not suspended this year. He's holding out, but, you know, he should be there uh, by the start of the year. Nick Martin, their center, who was out all of last year, he is there as well. They've got a good football team outside of their quarterback. So if they let Tom Savage start week one, it's a possibility he hangs on to it for a while. And I think that they, they want Deshaun Watson to get that job. So I think that I think right now, if I had to choose, I might go Savage still by a hair. But I have no confidence in that. I just know that it's kind of a situation where I do want to have exposure to whoever winds up winning it because I do think it's a pretty good situation, uh, especially Watson with the rushing upside as well. So I think I'm watching it here. I do still think it should be Savage probably in week one. But, I mean, the factors that I mentioned, you know, where it could easily change, it does push me towards, you know, thinking that they may be incentivized to go with Watson instead. Yeah, see, I don't know. Everything I see about this makes me think they want Watson in there from week one. Mm-hmm. He has that, you know, label of quote unquote proven leader from college. Houston move up 13 spots to take him in the first round of the draft, and they gave up their 2018 pick to do that, which to me mm-hmm. means that they're all in on a winning season right now. And if they're making those types of win now moves where the player they're trading for just sits on the bench, that doesn't make sense to me. And sure. I, I don't know. I, I the NFL's a copycat league, and I think when I look at what Houston's doing, it looks like they're trying to mimic what Dallas did last year. Uh, they're going to lean on their defense. They're going to lean on rushing. I mean, sidebar, they also drafted Donta Foreman to spell right. or maybe even supplant Lamar Miller, right? So they're all in on this sort of strategy, and they're going to need a quarterback who's – they don't really need a quarterback to go out and win them games, like you said. They just need somebody who can manage the game. And I think that Watson, with his mobility – can help support the running game like Dak did last year with Zeke. Uh, you know, and that, you know, mobility also helps extend clock killing drives, you know, with out of the pocket pass mm-hmm. plays. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that Watson's going to start with the job and he's not going to give it up as long as he's healthy or as long as they're winning. And like you said, they could win in spite of him anyway. Um, yeah. Now, health isn't a foregone conclusion for any QB, especially one who likes to run the ball. So I do think that Savage could still hold value if not in week one, down the road. And so they're both draftable to me right now, especially because we don't know who's going to be there week one. But, yeah, I, I can see their argument. I, I, I can see where you're coming from, and I I don't know. I just I just see it the other way because right. the, the draft capital is there. And, it, yeah, the, the, the win-move-now aspect of things kind of makes me think that there's no way they would make that trade if they didn't plan to use them right away. They must have thought they saw something in college, right? Yeah, I think the thing that I fully agree with you on is that they're both draftable because if Tom Savage does start, whether it be in week one or down the line, it's not a bad option. It's not a bad place to be using Tom Savage in that offense. So I agree. They're both fully draftable. I hope Deshaun Kaiser starts because that'd be awesome. Uh, You know, he's more exciting, obviously. And the rushing upside is there, too. The rushing floor is there as well. So I hope it's I hope it winds up being Deshaun Watson. Um, And, you know, if it does wind up being that, I will be a happy guy for sure. Yep, you and me both, and and I've drafted him in a couple spots here, and I'll probably try to get one more share because he's I, I do like that owning the running quarterbacks in two QB fantasy. Mm-hmm. There's just something fun about that. Anyway, um, before we get into a few more battles that may not be quite as obvious, I do need to tell the listeners about uh, our sponsor. Once again, it's Play Draft, and they offer snake drafting DFS during the regular season, but right now they also offer best ball drafts. 
the best balls are snake style drafts, no in season management. It's all about the draft. And you know, that's the best part when it comes to fantasy. If you're asking me, your best lineup is going to be automatically picked for you every week. So you don't have to worry about getting players in and out of your lineup. The drafts go by really quickly. Um, you can use their fantastic mobile app. You can use your web browser and you can also draft slow if you want. If you want to, uh, draft on longer pick timers, if, you know, you have stuff to do during the day and whatnot, like a lot of us do. Um, that's an option with PlayDraft as well. Uh, you compete for real cash prizes. Entries start at three bucks, so it's easy to fit a few drafts into your budget. The best part is that if you sign up through this podcast, you get your first best ball draft for the low price of free. And here's how you do that. You go to PlayDraft.com backslash TWOQB, and you sign up using that same thing as the promo code, TWOQB. Uh, so with your first deposit, You'll get a free best ball draft, and you'll be off to the races. So playdraft.com slash TWOQB with the promo code TWOQB and get drafting best ball today. Jim, let's get back to it. Possible battles, postponed battles maybe, the the stuff that (laughs) maybe we see coming down the pike, but it's not necessarily here yet. Um, The Bears, Mike Glennon and Mitchell Trubisky. Back in mid-July, Rich Campbell of the Chicago Tribune noted that the Bears, quote-unquote, plan to start Glennon all season. And I just kind of want to take this as an aside to show how great of an example this instance is of when we need to read between the lines with you know these reports on fantasy players. Because anyone can have a, quote-unquote, plan for anything. You know, plans don't always work out. Rich Campbell's source knew this. Rich Campbell knew this. They're not really saying anything. Like, I can plan to get up bright and early tomorrow, show up to work <laughs> early, power through a productive day, but I'm probably going to hit the snooze once, maybe twice. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to break speed limit laws to make it to work late in the first place, and I'm generally just going to drag ass until I until I get an unhealthy <laughs> dose of caffeine in my system, right? So, sidebar, hashtag rise and grind, shout out Denny Carter. teams can say that they plan or hope for something to happen that just doesn't mean anything it's probably not worth your time and attention so anyway that was said about mike lennon but you know based on this first preseason game against the denver broncos trubisky is already like really tightened up the gap between these two now granted trubisky was in there against second stringers third stringers he looked good Glennon was playing against the denver starters he looked bad but it's only one game right glennon could get Mm. better with more reps and you'd like to think that maybe the next opponent won't be quite as imposing, but they get the Cardinals in their second preseason <laughs> game, so who knows. Um, anyway, I think if Glennon can turn things around in the next couple weeks and at least look like a competent quarterback, he could hold off Trubisky for at least for a week one start. But that assumes that Trubisky falls off after an impressive first preseason game. And again, you can look at the draft capital. You can look at the fact that the Bears gave up a ransom to trade up one spot, you know, as foolish as they were to do that, to pick Trubisky. And you can see, like, you know, this guy's probably going to be starting at some point. And who are they fooling? Why not just start in in week one with Trubisky under center? Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I can can tell myself that story, right? What do you think is going to happen here? Yeah, I mean, you were talking about the plan. You know, the plan was to start Mike Lennon for the full year, but they didn't plan on Mike Lennon throwing a pick six on, like, his first dropback of the entire preseason. So plans can change really quickly. And with Lennon, I mean, with Trubisky, let's talk about Trubisky here first. His biggest flaw, I think, coming out of college is that he didn't have a lot of experience. You know, just 16 games with at least 10 attempts in college. That is way lower than the normal threshold for a first-round pick. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Mike Lennon hasn't really started over the past two years behind Jameis Winston. So that's not really an edge that he has there. 
as far as arm strength goes, arm talent goes, it's probably hugely in favor of Trubisky. So I kind of am leaning towards the assumption that Trubisky winds up starting the lion's share of this season. You know, obviously, like you said, they probably do prefer to start Mike Lennon, let Trubisky get more acclimated to the NFL, let him ride the bench for a little bit. But if Glennon is truly awful, which is a distinct possibility, yep. I think that they go to Trubisky really quickly. So my assumption is that Trubisky, like if we we're setting the over-under at like, if I were setting the over-under, I would probably set it at around like 12 and a half games. And that's probably where I'm thinking Trubisky winds up. Are you kind of in line with that too? 12 games played, you mean? Uh, yeah, 12 games played by the end of the year. That sounds about right. I In my show notes, I have the over-under set at week five for Trubisky's first okay, start. perfect. There we <laughs> so, go. We're, we're, we're in sync here. I like it. That's their first game that I would say is at all winnable. Like, I think they get Tampa Bay, <laughs> Atlanta, Green Bay, and some other good Oof. team in the first four yeah. weeks. And then they go to, I think they play Minnesota on Monday night in week five. Eesh. And I could see that either being the game where enough is enough and they move over to Trubisky or the fact that it is a high-profile game, they just decide, ah, screw it, let's throw the rookie in there and, you know, right. get some butts in the seats. But I, I don't know. It's it's going to be really fascinating to see how this plays out. You, you're drafting Trubisky first, I assume, based upon your over-under? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with with Glennon being what he is, I just can't really get behind him at all. I don't see the upside in there either. Yeah, me too. I And I do think we need to monitor this going through the preseason because, again, just mm-hmm. one preseason game, Glennon can turn things around, so keep an eye on it, but... At this point, if you're drafting right now, I think Trubisky is the guy you need to target out of that um, that pair. The Miami Dolphins are next. Jay Cutler and Matt Moore. Now, I, I would say that Cutler has sewn up this job. Uh, I think most people would agree. I'm just not sure he's very good anymore, and he wasn't <laughs> that good last season. I, I'm just wondering, what do you think the odds are that Moore can take this job based upon performance alone? Let's kind of throw out the risk of injury, mm-hmm. which, you know, also is not something that we should discount with right. Cutler, but just on on merit, on ability to move the ball with the offense, do you think that Moore might just be better than Cutler right now? I mean, Moore wasn't terrible last year when they had to throw him in there for Ryan Tannehill. He had the huge game against the Jets on just like 18 attempts. So it was just one game. You know, it was only, I think, a four-game or so sample with Moore in there for Tannehill. But he honestly was not terrible. It sounds like the locker room doesn't mind Matt Moore at all. Um, I've not heard of a lot of locker rooms that adore Jay Cutler. So <laughs> I think that based on performance, it's a possibility that Matt Moore could wind up being that guy. My question more is that, how much upside is there in this offense at quarterback to begin with? Because it seems like if J.J. is healthy, which is kind of a big caveat right now, I guess, if he's healthy, they probably want to run the football a whole lot, which does minimize the uh, the the upside in the quarterback. Yes, we prefer efficiency, but volume is a part of it, too. So I guess even though I can talk myself into Matt Moore starting at some point this year, I don't think the upside is enough where I'm monitoring this one super closely. Like, yeah, Cutler is a guy who needs to be on your radar and stuff like that. But I don't think that there's enough upside in this situation as a whole as the Miami Dolphins quarterback where I need to know if Matt Moore is going to play. It's a situation where if he if he crops up, sure, I'll look into him then. But for right now, I think it's just kind of like, you know, focusing on Cutler, assuming he winds up starting, assessing him as such, and then adjusting later on, essentially. Yep, totally agree. Let's just keep going. I want to get sure. to some more what I would call secret battles. QB battles, secrets. <laughs> um, so these are, you know, ones where we probably know who the starter is going to be, and that person's probably going to have the job all year. But 
I do think that with these teams, there's an outside chance that we see some changes in the season, maybe even before the season starts. And I want to start in Kansas City with Alex Smith as the incumbent and Pat Mahomes as, you know, the guy who is eventually going to supplant Smith. We know that. The question is when. Is it going to happen in week 17? Is it going to happen next season or the season after that? Is it going to happen much earlier in the 2017 season? I mean, I have one dynasty share of Mahomes just because, you know, he's a rookie quarterback in a two QB dynasty league and, you know, that guy could have value. And I actually just took my first redraft share in a deep 10 team home league uh, yesterday. We have mm-hmm. like 20 man rosters for a 10 team league. So you, you can afford to take gambles on, you know, the, the flyer quarterbacks like Mahomes. I just don't, I, I think that Mahomes playing this year is, you know, it's not, not, it's, I don't, man, it's non-zero. <laughs> there's, I think, that, I just think there's a non-zero chance that Mahomes plays this season, and as two QB owners, we can capitalize on that to some extent. If you know the draft breaks right or the roster settings break right, what do you think is going to happen there in Kansas City? Do you think Alex Smith holds onto the job all season? I think we're starting to see a shift towards a Pat Mahomes-esque offense in Kansas City. You look at what they did in their first preseason game, the first attempt for every quarterback. It was Smith, then uh, Tyler Bray, then Mahomes. The first attempt was deep for every single one of those guys. And we know Alex Smith is not a deep passer. And we've actually seen like some rumblings throughout camp that they want to push the ball more downfield. And that is so antithetical for an Alex Smith-type offense that it kind of leads me to believe that they are tailoring this offense more towards Pat Mahomes to make that transition easier once it does happen. And if they were doing this, I don't think they'd be doing this with an eye towards 2018. That, to me, says you're on you're spot on here, and there is a pretty good chance that Pat Mahomes winds up playing this year. He has moved up ahead of Bray on the depth chart. He is second already. That, to me, again, says that's not out of the question. So I'm looking at the situation as if Alex Smith is not a locked-in 16-game starter for this year. I can't really handle him as such. And I know that you know Smith is a guy who I generally do like more than others in, in fantasy. But for this year, it's a lot harder for me to do so because they did trade up to get Mahomes. They spent a lot of draft capital on him. He actually was pretty good. It seemed like in college, too. I liked his efficiency there. So he seems like he might not be a bad quarterback. And that pushes me towards, it pushes Smith down my boards, down lower than he usually would be. But it also means if I'm in a league like the one you were talking about, where you can take some stabs, I'm not really opposed to Pat Mahomes there either. Yeah, it's, it feels like such a raw deal for Smith, doesn't it? Like he hasn't done anything to really lose that. He's always been very good about playing within his own abilities. And the Mm -hmm. Chiefs were, Admittedly, very good about incorporating, you know, his skill set into their offense. And right. I think that they've realized that that's not the way they're going to win a Super Bowl. And right. and you're right. They're starting to make some changes. Now, are these just changes that we're seeing in the preseason? And then once, you know, the regular season gets going, it's right. back to the same old Alex Smith offense? Probably. That's probably how the year is going to start. But the fact that they're laying this foundation right now is super important, right? Because if mm-hmm. the Chiefs get off to a bad start, if they start out two and five or one and seven or something at that point, why not give Mahomes a shot? Right. And if he has some reps from the preseason, that that it, that foundation is laid down there. And I, I think that this is something we need to keep a really close eye on. And again, if you have the bench space, if you have a deep roster, Mahomes is definitely a guy I think worth a late round pick in two QB formats. I, I'm going to skip ahead to. 
a similar sort of situation with the Buffalo Bills. This mm-hmm. is one where, you know, Tyrod Taylor has been well documented that he isn't a guy the Bills front office is a huge fan of, right? And they drafted Nathan Peterman this year. It seems like a lot of the moves they're making, you alluded to this before, they're, they're aimed towards tanking, it seems like. And if, if the Bills are going to blow it up, I don't know if they get off to a rough start, just like we were just talking about with the Chiefs. Like, can you tell yourself a story where they say, oh, Tyrod's not getting it done. We want to see what we got in the rookie. Yeah, I think that's a very real possibility. And I honestly, maybe this is just like, you know, having blinders on because I love Tyrod so much. I didn't entertain this possibility until Friday. Once they made the Sammy Watkins move, it was kind of like, yeah, it's just like this awakening moment where they've got two first round picks. They've got two second round picks now and two third round picks. That is not... A move, the Sammy Watkins move is not a, one a team makes that they're trying to win in 2017. So, I mean, not only does that, you know, lower Tyrod, if I, if I assumed he were going to start all 16 games, it would lower my thoughts on him there. But it also does kind of sneak in that question of, okay, do they go to Nathan Peterman? Because Peterman, another guy who wasn't terrible in college at Pitt, uh, and they did, you know, they did take him decently early. So I can definitely talk myself into a scenario in which that happens. I, I wouldn't assume it's the most likely scenario because Taylor is has shown that he can be a good quarterback without Sammy. So maybe he will play his way into keeping that job as he's kind of done the last couple of years. But that's still a thing. And if he stumbles a bit, which is possible without Sammy Watkins, I'm worried, man. I, that does get me a little bit skittish here. Yeah. Now let's be fair. There, there's another scenario here with Watkins where the real reason they traded him and you can tie it back to the fact that they didn't re-sign him right. is the fact that maybe they're just worried about his health and they wanted right. to get something for him. They knew they had this other deal to get Jordan Matthews on the table and they said, you know what, let's play it safe. Let's get Watkins out of here. Let's bring in a guy who we don't have to pay as much uh, and who was you know, not as much of a health risk. I, I could see that being a possibility. So I, I don't know. I, I think that Taylor is good. I think he's just straight up good enough to carry this team in spite of the fact that Watkins is gone. And as long as they're winning, I think he's going to keep keep starting for that team. But, yeah, I, I'm i with you. If they are not doing well. Scared me. <laughs> yeah. Peterman, Peterman is the guy. Um, yeah. All right. Let's go to Jacksonville. This is kind of a similar situation to what we saw with Cutler and Moore in Miami. Blake Bortles and Chad Henney. Neither of whom are necessarily great. Uh, everyone <laughs> seems to know that Bortles is a bad quarterback, except for the Jaguars. So I'm wondering, like, is this finally the year that they pull the plug and stick Henny in there as more of a game manager? Like, I doubt it, but it's possible, right? It's possible because I think they're finally acknowledging that he's not a good quarterback. Like, you know, both in the press and in, like, their draft moves. You know, we, we heard uh, their head coach talking about how the fact that if he could run the ball every play of the game, he would. That's not really a statement that you make. If you have you tons. Right, exactly. Not, you don't do that if you have a ton of faith in your quarterback. So Boros are saying, you're like, come on, man. Like, what's up? Like, I'm still right here. Uh, but, like, that kind of pushes me towards thinking that maybe it's not a, a mortal lock that Blake Bortles winds up being the guy. Blake Bortles winds up being the guy for the entire year. And one thing that can force their hand on that is ineffectiveness. And one thing we saw a lot of last year from Blake Bortles was ineffectiveness. They cut down on his exposure. They tried to make him throw less the second half of the year. I think that kills Bortles' fantasy value. It kills Allen Robinson quite a bit for me too. And I, I just think that everything that they've done since this new, you know, head coaching staff took over says. We have no faith in Blake Bortles. And if that means making a move to Chad Henney to exploit that really good defense that they have, you know, take advantage of Leonard Fournette while he's there, 
I wouldn't be shocked if it happens. Yeah, I'm with you. I I have a little bit more optimism for guys like Allen Robinson, if only because I think if the team is generally better, that probably means that whoever's under center for them is going to be a little bit more efficient than they right. were last year, even if it's Bortles. And I Robinson just had such a train, train wreck season last year. I think that he's going to bounce back to some extent now. Is he going to bounce back to 2015 numbers? No, I don't think so. Right. Um, anyway, let's let's move on. Let's get to your boy, your non-Cody Kessler boy, <laughs> Geno Smith. Versus Eli Manning. Like, I think that Eli might be washed up. You know, his arm strength did not look there last year. Yards per attempt were way down. And Geno has never really been given a legitimate shot as a starter in a functional offense. Now, he was, you know, wasting away on the Jets for a long time. <laughs> Is this a situation where you could see Geno supplanting Eli Manning? Uh, probably not. I mean, like, it's obviously a, a super unlikely scenario where Geno winds up, you know, wiggling his way in there. And I think that they've seen enough from Eli Manning in, you know, higher leverage situations where they will be faithful to Eli and say, okay, you know, you're struggling again, just like last year. I think he would need to be just abysmal, like Jared Goff 2016 abysmal levels (laughs) for them to make the switch from Eli Manning. So, I mean, I would love Gino to start because his rushing abilities and having Odell Beckham as a wide receiver, Brandon Marshall, and then uh, Evan Engram, the guys they have elsewhere at, you know, at pass catching positions, that'd be really sweet. I just don't think that, I, I think that they know Eli well enough where they will just kind of bite the bullet there and say, hey, unless, unless you are otherworldly awful, we'll ride it out with you. So I'd love to see Gino start. I'm just, it's hard for me, even as a Geno truther, a devout Geno enthusiast, to talk myself into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Eli's won two Super Bowls. That you right. know, that sort of name brand is uh-huh. really tough to displace. So I, I agree. I think that maybe if Eli gets hurt, this could be a sure. really cool opportunity for Geno. And I'm not rooting for that. Like, we don't root for injuries or anything like that. But right. I think that he's one of those backups that, based upon the fact that we have seen him be very good in fantasy before with a bad team means that if you put him in a good offense like this, you could see some really cool stuff happen in terms of fantasy production. So uh, yeah, keep Gino on your watch list in the back of your mind for, you know, the possibility that maybe Eli gets hurt. Um, Last one, you mentioned Jared Goff and I don't know. (laughs) He he was so bad last year. That that's the only thing that that (laughs) makes me think that this could be possible, but is it, could, could you see the Rams benching Goff at some point this season? I, I don't see it based upon the fact that, you know, he should still get some benefit of the doubt because his rookie year was under Jeff Fisher. Right. Uh, he, it was his first year in the league. Like, he didn't really get the full season to play out either, which was a problem. Like, if they had started him week one, maybe by the end of the year he would have looked better. So, yeah, kind of the same thing as Cutler versus Moore, Bortles versus Henny. There's just a possibility that Jared Goff is going to be terrible and if that happens, someone else in that QB depth chart could benefit. Sean Mannion or maybe someone else that, you know, we don't know the name of because he is the third <laughs> string quarterback on the Los Angeles Rams. What do you think about the Rams, Jim? Yeah, I think that, like, it would have to be, again, just abysmal. And, you know, they are taking Jared Goff out for his own health. Like, if the offensive line is bad enough, maybe they do it then. But even then, I see it as being a super unlikely scenario. And honestly, I don't think he'll be ineffective enough where it's a a super big question, I guess. 
again, like I talked about before, you know, they did invest in the offensive line, not just Andrew Whitworth, but they brought in John Sullivan, a veteran center who was dealt with injuries, but, you know, he's been good in the past with Minnesota. He was great as a center. That helps, too. Again, they spent big at pass catcher in the draft. They brought in Robert Woods. I feel like there is enough in place where Jared Goff will at least be good enough with Sammy Watkins, too, where he will at least be able to get by. And this won't become a conversation. So I would assume his leash is is just stupidly long. But I'm also not certain he's going to test how long that that leash is. I think that I'm not saying that I'm like full in, you know, all the chips to the middle of the center or the middle of the table on Jared Goff. But I'm saying that I am buying stock on him where he's currently being valued based on a couple of games in a rookie season under Jeff Fisher. I've seen enough investment in this team to say it kind of resembles Derek Carr, to be fully honest, when he was with the Raiders. He wasn't that good his rookie year. They had a coaching change midseason. They invested him in the offseason. They brought in Amari Cooper. They made that offensive line beastly, and they brought in Michael Crabtree, too. I'm not saying it's a parallel because Carr, his rookie season was better golf in his rookie year. But there are a lot of similarities. I guess that's the way I'll put it. There are similarities where it seems like they're trying to prop Goff up, and it has worked in the past. So I kind of think he'll be effective enough where he can kind of fend off those questions. So to wrap things up here, let's put a little bit of fantasy context around what you've talked about with Goff. Because sure. I agree, he's, he should be better this year. And with the upgrades that they've made, both to the coaching staff and to the players around him, I think that there's potential value with Goff especially because people are so likely to, dis- to dismiss people after they have a bad year, right? So mm-hmm. we've also talked a lot about these other quarterbacks who might be bad or might get benched at some point in the season, Alex Smith, Blake Bortles, um, Jay Cutler. Are you drafting Goff ahead of any of those guys at this point? Yeah, uh, I am not drafting him out of Eli or any, a guy like that. Uh, but I do have him right behind Alex Smith right now. I have him ahead of Brian Hoyer. Um, I had him ahead of Jay Cutler. Headed Sean Kaiser, headed Trevor Simeon, who I don't mind either, uh, and headed Mike Lennon. So looking at those guys, I have Goff 24th overall right now to give you kind of a, I guess, a lens into how much I actually do like him. I haven't had a Flacco. That's probably a mistake. I probably shouldn't have done that. But hey, you know, regardless, <laughs> I'll make some tweaks later on. Uh, but I do think that there is enough here to say that Goff can be, you know, kind of like in that QB2 range. So um, I, I think that. I'm taking him above a lot of the guys with question marks because his playing time should be more steady. So for a lot of the guys we discussed, not Bortles, not Alex Smith, not Eli Manning or Tyrod Taylor, but the guys in the level above, I think I'm probably going with Goff most of the time. Yeah, and that point about stability, being able to count on 16 games is really important, especially for uh, maybe like a 12-team 2QB league where all the relevant guys are going to get drafted, like even Mahomes, even some of the backups, uh, you know, even Brock Osweiler might get drafted in a format like that. So if you can kind of count on a QB, assuming health, of course, to start for you the entire year, that has a lot of just inherent value because that allows you to be a little bit more flexible with your bench spots at other positions and, and really seek upside away from quarterback where, you know, upside is a little bit more important, I think. Um, Jim, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. I, I appreciate it. Listeners, you should follow him on Twitter at Jim Sonnes, and that's J-I-M-S-A-N-N-E-S. Uh, Jim, you got anything else you're working on you want to plug right now? 
No, I mean, uh, just we're getting ready for football season. We do a lot of DFS stuff over at Number Fire. Um, so we'll have our, our Heat Check Fantasy podcast. Those are ramping up. We'll have a recap podcast every week and then our preview podcast, same as always. So those are getting uh, getting close, and I'm excited, Greg. It's uh, finally football season. We can uh, you know shift away from our horrible fantasy baseball teams. My season-long <laughs> ones are just in shambles, and I can focus on something that, that's not awful. It's great. Yeah, I can't wait either. It's, it can't get here soon enough, man. That Labor Day weekend, I got a couple more drafts, and then it's it's time yep. to get going, man. It's time to start making some moves, scoring some points. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Absolutely. If you listeners have any questions for the podcast, you can hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs or 2QBs at gmail.com. If you're into the whole email thing, uh, both cases, you spell it out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. If you rate and review the podcast, that would be great. You know, it's something that really does help us promote the show, promote the site, and you get us more traffic to give us more resources to help you guys uh, win your leagues with, with better analysis. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, we'd really appreciate it. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, wherever else you can rate and review the 2QB experience, that would be great. Um, we had a contest going to see who would win a free copy of the 2017 2QB's draft guide. And Jim, I'm hoping you can help me out with this. I've got three different people who could win. These are the three people who submitted okay. a, a review over the past week. And I want you to pick a number one through three. Okay. Um, I will go. I think that the chalk answer is three. So I'll go one. Let's go with number one. Good choice. So uh, that means that a person with the handle of pizza guy or nice. P-I-Z-Z-A-G-U-I. I love pizza, man. Pizza is like <laughs> perfect food. Um, you are the winner. If you're listening to this right now, um, you can hit us up, but I'll I'll remember to hit you up uh, with a DM eventually here through the 2QBs account, and we'll get you set up with that guide. So thank you all, who all three of you who left the reviews. I really do appreciate it. And um, anyway, getting back to wrapping things up here, the draft guide, if you do want a copy, you can go to 2QBs.com. You can get it right now. If you use the promo code 2QBXP, you'll get 10% off your copy, and that's the numeral 2QBXP. That does it. Jim, thanks again. Listeners, thank you. We will catch you next time on the 2QB Experience. Adios.